Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. Episode number, is this 133? I think so. I'm getting up there. Yeah, it's been a, been a, a, a couple of episodes. Um, so today we're going to talk about negativity and... Uh, <laughs> I guess I get blamed too much for being too negative anyway, but um, negative amortization, I think, is what we're going to be talking about. So why don't you start us off with a little bit of a quote. So about one out of every five home loans at three big Canadian banks are now negatively amortizing, which happens when years get added to the payment term of the original loan because monthly payments are no longer enough to cover anything but interest. That's not how it's supposed to work. I don't think so. No, not usually. So you're basically renting from the bank. So from a CBC article, a 47-year mortgage, they're out there and even longer ones could be coming. Banking regulator says about $250 billion worth of home loans are either currently or soon to be negatively amortized. Canada's top banking regulator. I think it's their only banking regulator. I don't think we have, like, there's no second <laughs> he's, he's, in command. But here. I like how they put that as the top yeah. banking regulator. That yeah. wasn't me. That that was uh, from the article. Actually, the, the journalist on this article, um, he's messaged me a bunch on um, Instagram. And when I did, because I did a video uh, Instagram reel or whatever on this, and he was like, oh, it's my that's my article. Like, And it was so exciting. Anyway, it's, it's totally blown up. I mean... Um, and rightfully so. So OSFI is what he's referring to. Uh, we'll soon implement new guidelines for the mortgage market aimed at reducing the risks posed by negative amortizing mortgages. This scares me, to be honest with you, but we can get into that. Home loans where the payment terms have ballooned by years and sometimes decades because payments are no longer enough to pay down the loan on the original terms. So let's remember a few things before we get deeper into this. Your mortgage, which is a loan from the bank, let's say has a $500,000 balance. That $500,000 has two parts to it. Every mortgage does. They are made up of P and I, principal and interest. Principal is the money that you originally agreed to pay back and interest is the cost of borrowing that money, the principal. So in a principal plus interest loan, the principal, the original amount borrowed is divided into equal monthly amounts based on an amortization schedule. And the interest, the fee charge for borrowing is calculated on the outstanding principal balance each month, which is your compounding monthly. This means the monthly interest amount declines over time as the outstanding principal declines. So in this example, we have a mortgage of $500,000 owed. The monthly payment, let's say at a 6% fixed rate would be $2,947. Again, 6% fixed rate, five-year term over a 30-year amortization. So let's look at that. That's broken up into five columns. First being the year, the second being the payments made, and that's the total for that year. Then the next is the interest paid, then the uh, principal paid, and then the remaining balance. So in year one, your total payment against that $500,000 is going to be an annual total of $35,689. Of that $35,689, a whopping $29,464 of that was just interest. And only $6,224 actually went to paying off your principal. This leaves you with a remaining balance at the end of year one of $493,775. 
Now let's look at year five, the end of a typical mortgage term. Remember, the five-year fixed has been historically the most popular choice by Canadians. So year five, same total payment, $35,689. The interest you're paying has only dropped from 29464 in year one to $27,803 in year five, or a $1,661 difference. The principal you're paying off has gone from $6,224 to $7,885. And after five years, you still owe $464,846 on your mortgage. So you're really just kind of slowly chipping away at it from year one to five. So let's fast forward another five years and look at year 10. Still the same payment, right? You've got that annual payment of $35,689 because you're on that fixed rate. You pay $25,091 of that the uh, that of that interest and then $10,000 goes against your principal. And by year 25, again, some the same payment $35,689, the interest is now only Nine thousand nine hundred sixty-six. So this is the first time your interest payment is below ten grand, and now the principal is actually being realized. You're actually paying off twenty-five thousand seven hundred twenty-three dollars. Your remaining balance at year twenty-five is one hundred and fifty-four thousand one hundred eight dollars. The balance starts to drastically decrease because now you pay off that $154,000. It's the remainder of the last five years. You pay that off in five years, whereas in the first five years, you only paid off $35,000. And so this whole thing tells me a few things. The first thing is that real estate is a long-term play. And so if you look at an amortization schedule chart, I mean, it really, from my perspective, completely illustrates the point of investing in real estate. Over time, you see the interest payment or the, the amount of interest that you're paying on the mortgage decrease in size. And over that same period of time, you see the principal payment, uh, which is the amount of principal that you're paying down each time you make a mortgage payment, increase in size. And so over time, the cash flow or the or the equity that you're earning from that property and from the, the income of that property is increasing in size. So this is your get rich quick scheme that is real estate. It just takes uh, 25 years <laughs> to get rich quick. But it also tells me that interest rates are a very powerful force. And and that powerful force has been on the move for the last little while and moving very fast. So on a standard 25 or 30-year amortization, um, 25 and 30 are the most common. Under normal circumstances, a certain percentage of that mortgage payment, again, goes to the bank in the form of interest, while the other chunk is allocated, again, to that principal that we were just going over. That way... As the borrower makes more payments, they owe less and less money over time. But because of the large and rapid run-up in interest rates in the last year and a half, the balance has been thrown out of whack on certain type of mortgages. Now, let's pause there. We know that rates have been decreasing for decades. We've done full episodes about it, but we're not going to go back decades here. We just need to look as far back as February 2020. So in February 2020, the prime rate was 3.9% and the Bank of Canada target overnight rate was 1.75%. Now, just a reminder, prime rate, also known as the prime lending rate, is the annual interest rate that Canada's major banks and financial institutions used to set the interest rates for variable loans, lines of credit, um, and other loans of that nature. So, going back to February of 2020, that 395 uh, was based on the 1.75 uh, Bank of Canada's rate. 
the prime rate is primarily influenced by the policy interest rate set by that Bank of Canada, uh, known as the overnight rate. So when the Bank of Canada raises that overnight rate, it becomes more expensive for the banks to borrow money. And that's who we borrow money from. So the banks respectively raise their rates. Conversely, when the BOC lowers the overnight rate, banks do the same thing and they lower rates accordingly. So then, I guess, in March of 2020, the world changed. Um, we were introduced to a bit of an exogenous threat, and the government's response to that was to decrease interest rates, and interest rates plummeted thereafter. Yeah, the overnight rate that was 1.75, which is a very historical low as it is, uh, dropped to 0.25, and it stayed there for two years. So as a result, the impact on the prime rate was that it dropped from 3.95%. And prime rate is basically the best rate that a bank claims that they can um, borrow money at. So that's their cost of capital. So it dropped from 3.95% to 2.45%, and it stayed there for the next two years. And that was two years of craziness. It was, and, and it really demonstrated, um, especially at that point, because the magnitude is so substantial, like um, interest rates got cut in half. And so, I mean, it really, really ramped up that that borrowing power and the faith that people had in the market and created, like you said, two years of, of craziness. So now we fast forward. We all know what happened during that period of time. We probably talked too much about it on this show. Um, but the overnight rate was at 0.25%, um, quite literally free money for years. And now, fast forward to present day, maybe fa- it doesn't even have to fast forward. You all were here for the it last year. felt like year. a fast forward. If I, I feel like it felt slow and painful, but um, the overnight rate is now 5%. So Prime followed suit and went from 2.45% to a crazy 7.2% today. And that was through one of the fastest hiking cycles in recent history and in, in Canadian banking history. So imagine your payments have followed this trajectory and you're on a variable rate, which many Canadians did, and they opted to buy with variable rates rather than the historical five-year fixed rate favorite. Um, and a lot of that was because there was a period of time when, as a result of the stress test, um, you could you could buy a lot more house um, with a variable rate than a than a fixed rate because you know if you're if you're buying a fixed at anything over three percent, which they were creeping up, the fixed rates were creeping up, then you were actually getting stress tested above five percent because the the stress test is either five percent or your your contract rate plus two percent. Um, so if you went and got a, a variable rate at, like, they were as low as like 0.99, but like 1%, 1.5%, you were getting stress tested at five. If you're getting a fixed rate at three and a half or four percent, you're getting stress tested at five and a half or six. Then, so very variable rates allowed them to afford a bigger home or a bigger investment property in a lot of cases. Yeah, exactly, Dan. So now that we've kind of gone over that, the reminders and, and how we got to where we are today, let's look let's look at some examples of negative amortization this is from uh, an example from the cbc article that dan referenced at the top of the show it happened to michael gerard corty he bought a duplex in joliet quebec last year on a 25 year variable rate loan the monthly payment was well within his budget at 1500 or sorry 1156 dollars But since he signed on the dotted line, the Bank of Canada has hiked interest rates multiple times. 
which means that more and more of his payment is allocated towards interest, not paying down the loan at the pace he had planned on. As things stand now, only $23 goes to pay the capital of my mortgage and the rest is all interest. That's what he told CBC in an interview. And my mortgage went from 25 years all the way to 47 years. Hence the title of that lovely non-clickbait article. And that's not even that bad. Like there are amortizations out there where people have been double triggered or triple triggered and they're hitting like 80 plus year amortization. Have we seen a hundred year one? No, I don't think it exists. If, if you know anyone with a hundred year amortization out there, please have them reach out to the show. We would love to speak to them. So well, uh, Michael Gerard Corti, well, he hopes to be able to change that either through lower rates or higher payment amounts. And we'll get to what you can do to, uh, to protect yourself against negative amortization close to the end of the show here. The investment he bought in the hopes of accelerating his retirement has quickly turned into a liability that's on track to stick around for longer than he had planned to work on it. It's not a fun situation, he says, and I never expected to be in it. I don't know how things are going to end up. And he's not the only one in this predicament. Uh, Exact numbers are hard to come by, but regulatory filings from Canada's biggest banks show negative amortized loans make up a large and growing pile of debt. Roughly one-fifth or 20% of the mortgages on the books of BMO, TD, and CIBC were in negative amortization territory last quarter. And I think we mentioned this earlier on the show as well. Um, uh, Hanif from uh, Wawa.ca published those charts or published like just a table and I... And because this comes out in the bank's earning reports, and and I think Simone and uh, Braden covered it as well, but something like between depending on the bank, but like something like twenty or thirty percent of their mortgage book is um, has amortizations over thirty five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, it, it's it's a pretty substantial impact I think on the bank's books here. So it goes on to say that that's almost one hundred thirty billion of housing debt, where instead of a standard twenty five year loan, the mortgage is stretched out over thirty five, forty, or more years. And with roughly a hundred thousand mortgages coming up for renewal in Canada every month, more are likely on the way. Actually, I don't know if that's correct in the article because no bank would renew somebody into a negative AM situation. I think they would probably say you're being customer deselected or you'll have to sell your house. I think realistically right we'll see i think i think uh osfi is gonna have a say about that as well so again dan going back to your question there what are the lenders doing what can the banks do about this right well some lenders limit the possibility of negative amortizations as you were just saying by either requiring the borrowers to come up with lump sum payments when their payment makes nears that limit or switching them into a fixed rate loan with a higher, but at least a steady and predictable payment. Now, despite that, almost a quarter of the mortgages on the books at RBC are amortized for more than 35 years. At TD, it's 22%. At BMO, it's 18%. And at CIBC, it's a whopping 19%. So these are not small numbers for the big banks. Yeah. And at a recent news conference, the head of the office of the superintendent of financial institutions, Peter Routledge, poured cold water on any notion that any sort of crackdown was coming. And I think this is the important part because they can't really just like take all of these mortgages and say, you got to get on the right side. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're in trouble. You mean like strong arming people into fixed rates? Yeah. Yeah. They can't really do that. Right. Like it would, I think it would really damage the financial system. It would cause probably a lot of people to be forced to sell and it would probably not result in a good outcome for the banks either, which is really 
who they're supposed to be regulating and protecting. Um, but but it does say that the guidelines are aimed at reducing the risk these loans present to the financial system in aggregate. So my guess would be that they might have a higher capital requirement for loans of that nature. Um, We're getting there. Yeah. So he goes on to say the risk concentration is not high enough to give us severe concerns, but if you asked me five years ago if I would want a problem this size, no, he said. <laughs> Shocker. I think, yeah, I think both banks, financial institutions, and borrowers would be better off if the prevalence of this product was less. So the speculation that the product will cease to exist. Um, I love the way that anyone in like politics or, or financials answers questions. It's really just kind of a very complicated answer, but like, yeah, yeah no, like I'm quadruple not. Quadruple negatives. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Quad negatives and like, I'm basically saying like, yeah, I don't like this either. What do you want, what do you want me to do about it? Yeah. Um, Rutledge goes on to say that there are approximately $250 billion worth of mortgages in Canada that are currently amortized for 35 years or longer. Remember, we had that's why we reminded everyone that the standard length of an amortization schedule is between 25 and 30 years. So at 35, you're already five years longer than the longest we have. And that is a decent proxy for a loan that's either already longer than originally planned or it will be soon. So a lot of people are teetering on the edge right there. That's about 12% of Canada's total mortgage debt of just over $2.1 trillion. So that $250 billion, not a small but not a huge amount either, manageable, Routledge says. But he didn't acknowledge, or sorry, but he did acknowledge that it's a problem in the guidelines that will be published this month, which are available on OSFI, or sorry, which they talk about um, doing on OSFI's website. And this has been a long time coming. It's not like this is an emergency response. Like they, they have to do this every now and then. But he mentioned um, it'll begin to discuss how we might address that, which is crazy because it's not saying that it's going to fix it. It's beginning to discuss how we might yeah. address that. Beginning to discuss how we might. That's uh, yeah, it sounds like comforting. a subcommittee or two. Um, <laughs> And and how we might put into place a little bit more regulatory oversight to make this product a little bit less prevalent. So that static payment variables might um, might not necessarily be a thing anymore, which is some, probably for the better. There's going to be some changes in the pipeline, as, as there should be. Yeah. Um, under the proposed changes, negative amortization mortgages that breach the selected loan value calculation will be treated as exposures that do not meet OSFI's expectations set out in guideline B20 that regulates mortgage underwriting practices and procedures. OSFI said in a letter outlining its proposed challenges. So OSFI uh, believes the risk resulting from negative amortizations is higher um, for mortgages with higher loans to value. That seems to make a lot of sense. Well, I mean, it's just that the degree of catastrophe if something actually goes wrong is higher because there's no equity to bail the lender or the borrower out. Exactly. Um, the interesting part though is like where it says it doesn't meet their expectations set out in guideline B20. Um, so what do you do? Like, like really- like Go to they, guideline B21? <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, it, like the stress test guideline B20 is, um, it's not a retroactive thing. Like it's to prevent people from taking loans that don't um, so meet the expectations. So they don't have, have the loans. Yeah, like they don't have like a an enforcement or like penalizing rule. Like I, I think that they're still just really trying to figure this thing out right now. Like they, they've got B20 is supposed to guide step one. They're now trying to apply it to step three. And yeah. that doesn't make yeah. sense like that. You yeah, can't do that. Yeah, because the person already has the mortgage. Exactly. This is the problem. Exactly. <laughs> the caller so, is inside the house. Anyway, going back to it in November of... 
2022, the bank noted that after steeply, steeply increasing the overnight rate from a near zero at the start of the year to 3.75. Again, this is not where we are now. This is back in November of 2022. About 50% of borrowers with variable rate fixed payment mortgages had reached out to a so had reached their so-called trigger rates where the monthly payments covered only the interest, leaving the principal amount unpaid. We did a whole episode on that. Go back and find that one if you want more information on what a trigger rate is and why you want to avoid them. Nearly 13% of all Canadian mortgages were affected at that time. And that's, again, from November of 2022, and it's only gotten worse since then. At the time, the OSFI superintendent, who we've been mentioning, Peter Routledge, said that short-term solutions undertaken by many financial institutions and homeowners alike to simply extend the amortization periods of their mortgages sets borrowers up for potential payment shock in two or three years when they must go to renew their mortgages. As the mortgages will typically return to the original amortization period, there would be a fairly significant increase in monthly payments at that time. Well, you don't say. And and this is where we, I, I think where we hit a wall, right? It's like, we can't, you can't, really do that or you see a wave of people who I think the the highest quantity of renewals that we have ever like are coming up is in 2025 so if that if they if they all renew in 2025 at rates that they can't afford then you would probably see a pretty big wave of selling which is how this ends up being like a more long-term sustained downturn like we mentioned in mm-hmm. episode one about like the 90s if you're trying to draw that comparison it's not to say like that's not even really predictive or forecasting but a couple of the banks did just come out with their interest rate forecasts as well. And everybody's saying they expect the overnight rate to get back down to that 2.25% range or 2.5% range, you know, which means that everybody who's renewing, or, and that's that's by the end of next year. But so by the end of 2024, overnight rates at 2.5%. Um, those people who are renewing still are going to be renewing at the same or higher rates than they were at. So. Anyway, we will see what happens with OSV's new regulations and how they plan to combat this growing issue. So let's just, before we move on, touch on the fact that Canada's total mortgage debt is just over $2.1 trillion. Yeah, and CMHC said that it was up 6% from last year. However, the federal agency says in a new report that the rate of growth of mortgage debt slowed compared with recent years and new mortgages are decreasing. So where's it coming from? It's coming from mortgages that are actually not paying themselves down quickly enough Mm -hmm. or negatively amortizing, which is a little scary. So anyway, the report attributes the trend to inflation, rapidly rising interest rates and cooling housing markets, which have weakened consumer confidence and left fewer home buyers looking to buy. And you're starting to see a lot of revised forecasts from you know, the powers that be maybe a little bit too late. It would have been valuable to, to forecast. Forecasting you're supposed to do. I was going to say, isn't forecasting like yeah. predicting the future, not kind yeah. of like, oh, yeah, this is what's happening right now. Right. So many people are choosing to reduce their monthly debt servicing costs and op- opting for shorter term fixed rate mortgages because they expect interest rates to eventually drop. Well, don't we all? Now, CMHC's report goes on to say that Fixed-rate five-year mortgages fell to less than 15% of new mortgages in January. They made up 21% of new mortgages in January of 2022 and 40% of new mortgages in January of 2021. So that's a pretty major drop, Dan, from January 21 at 40%, and now they're down at 15%. Yeah, and we're almost at a point where the variable has eclipsed the fixed on on pricing, which is why it's important to be discussing this fixed payment variable stuff. I mean, 
I'm assuming and kind of hoping that OSFI just bans that product. But if they don't and bond yields continue on the trajectory that they're on, which is up and US bond yields are up against that CPI print yesterday. If bond yields continue going up and the and the central banks have stopped hiking, which we'll find out on the 25th, it it could be we could be in a spring market where variable rates are the more popular one because they're cheaper. And and so hopefully Deja vu. Uh, isn't that weird? But then at least you do get exposure to the downside. Yeah, I mean the only X factor is could inflation come ripping back. Um but anyway, what are you seeing in the market? What are your clients doing right now? Yeah, I mean, um, industry, I don't want to speak for my, my fellow mortgage agents out there, but the ones that I do speak with often who are amazing brokers and have been doing it for longer than you and I have been alive in some cases, Dan, um, I usually go to them for, for what they are seeing. And some of them are seeing a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain out there, uh, for newer mortgages, for people getting mortgages. A lot of people are taking those short term fixed right? You take a short-term fixed loan and you ride out this current volatility. That seems to be the safest thing to do right now with this market. And and that's kind of based on what a lot of economists are predicting. Um, actually, according to the majority of economists polled, 24 out of 34 uh, in a poll done between August 24th and 30th, they expect the Bank of Canada to keep its policy rate at the current level of 5% or higher until at least the end of March 2024. This shows uh, the medium 50 basis points worth of cuts by the end of June next year. And that's obviously in line, keeping in line with, uh, you know, what the U.S. Fed does, because, you know, big brother, we got to we got to make sure we're following suit. So, you know, we're it, it totally depends on who you are. And we've talked about this, right? What's the right mortgage product for you? Fixed, variable, term, length, et cetera. Um, there's no blanket statement. There's no one answer here, but we are seeing more short-term fix than than I've ever seen. Yeah, which is crazy because they are expect pretty expensive right now. Like I They're, find that everything's like the, expensive. Yeah, right but now. by comparison to a five-year fix, like I probably would have taken a um, a short-term variable, like a two or three year, or sorry, a short-term fixed, uh, like a two or three year personally um, in March of this year on a closing. But I only or had I taken that, I don't think I would have been able to qualify. So I had to go to the five-year fix, which I got a decent rate on, like it was in the, in the low fives, but the, um, the, the shorter term fixed ended up being like, it was, I don't know, probably 30 basis points high, which is like a 10% higher rate, yep. um, a 10, 10% bigger payment to, or sorry, a 5% bigger payment, 10% bigger rate. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's such a tough thing. There's, and this there's is no like, right answer. And just like you said, right, you needed it to qualify. So that's why, you know, yeah. every situation is different, depends on the asset, depends on if it's investment or if it's for you, your primary home. Yeah. And I think it's just a, like, it's just as much of a fool's errand as um, trying to time the market, right? Like trying to time rates and predict rates and know what's going on with rates. Like I, the reason I analyze this stuff is to understand what the what the worst case scenario looks like. And if I'm comfortable with the worst case scenario, like if I can draw an accurate worst case scenario and I'm comfortable with it, then I can proceed. If if I'm not, then I can't. And that's that's really like why being bearish has any value. It's not like I'm trying to predict what you know when prices are going to go up or down or whatever. It's just like if they went down, would I still want to own this thing? So let's chat a little bit on this about how you, not you, Nick, but you, our audience, <laughs> can do something if you're in the situation like we're describing. 
Yes, we've got a few options here for you. The first one being, um, and this might be obvious because we've we've mentioned it before, but increase your payments if possible, of course. So increasing your monthly payments is one of the fastest and most straightforward ways to combat that negative amortization, right? By paying more than the minimum required, you can reduce the gap between your payment and the interest owed, effectively tackling that growing loan balance. This can be done in two ways. Proactive payment increases. So if you anticipate entering into a negative AM or already in one, consider increasing your monthly payments proactively. You can do this by making more frequent payments or increasing your existing payment schedule, increasing that amount. By aligning your payments with your original contract terms, you can again mitigate the negative impact of the interest accumulated. The other way to do this within the increasing your payments idea is through lump sum prepayments. Another effective strategy to make lump sum prepayments by putting more significant amounts down, you can reduce the principal balance and decrease the amount of interest occurring. This method can be particularly beneficial if you're in the middle of your mortgage and expect interest rates to fall in the you know semi-near future. Now, it's obviously very important to note that if you have a closed mortgage or different types of mortgage products, you may incur additional interest charges when making that lump sum I was just talking about. So this is an important thing to go and speak to your lender or your mortgage broker about, or at the very least, go and review the terms of your own mortgage. This is just an aside here. This is why it's not just all about rate when people go to get a mortgage. It's got to be about the actual mortgage product as well, because if you're in a situation like this, a lump sum payment option is a great way to, if you have the capability of doing so, of course, is a great way to you know, circumvent this type of distress that you may be feeling. So there you go. That's That's the first option. So yeah, we'll get on to the the next one here, which would be converting to a fixed rate mortgage. Although you know, I, I think these are all mortgage based options. I think ultimately selling might be among the, the list. That was supposed was, to be the bonus one. So yes, enough. these are all mortgage. Yeah, these yeah. are all mortgage ones. We'll get to yeah, maybe so, just sell at the end. Yeah. So the next one is convert to a fixed rate mortgage. So if you have a negative AM, and and look like the reality is on renewal, you might end up in this position anyway, based on the way it's starting to sound with OSFI. Um, locking in a fixed rate would allow you to establish consistent monthly payments and protect yourself from future interest rate hikes. Might be a little late from for this one. I think we're pretty late. Like I think we're at what the Bank of Canada already said their terminal rate is, barring inflation getting completely out of control. Mind you, we have heard that before. Things things yeah, of that true. nature before. Similar true, rhetoric. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So talk to your mortgage lender or broker. Um, and and like to be honest with you, like I, I get a lot of calls like this where people are like, "Oh, I'm underwater" or whatever. It's like, well. I'm not the person you should be speaking to. Same thing if you're in a pre-construction that you can't close on. Like, it's great. And if you want my advice, I'll give you advice. But if you want somebody to solve the problem, that person is the builder who you need to close on. Or in this case, the lender who you who gives you the loan that you can no longer afford or is no longer working for your investment strategy. Um, so you could convert to a fixed rate. Um, before deciding to convert, you, you kind of want to look at the pros and cons while they offer stability and protection against rate fluctuations, they can also come at uh, come with slightly higher rates than the variable rate mortgages. So look at your long-term financial goals. Look at whether or not your, your goal here is to weather the storm or to get into a good financial position. Um, assess your risk tolerance and then talk to mortgage experts to see what's out there. But I mean, like again, um, that, that chart that's floating around that was published by WAWA of all of the rates, like did you see the whole renewal sheet of mm-hmm. everybody's rates right now? It's like, how are people going to be able to afford to renew at these rates. Like, and this is 
where we were saying a long time ago, it's like the the impact of interest rates being high isn't like, you know, it's not the odd, like most people can afford the increases. They're not going to like it, but they can. It's what do the increases mean to the remainder of the economy? Well, I think what does the what do the increases uh, mean to the remainder of those people that can afford it to the remainder of their capital, right? That's, yeah, like so, like all that money that they had, right? Which which in turn is the economy, yeah, right? Exactly. That's that, that's Stuff their disposable spending. income, right? Yeah. They, you know, people aren't going on yeah. those trips. They're not putting the addition on the yeah. house. They're not, you know, maybe They're even not young in their people, car every two years. Maybe like, even young people are pushing school back because they can't afford to go and and live somewhere. And do, so it really changes the dynamics of the economy in more ways than just like okay, you know, interest rates went up a couple times, and you know now my mortgage has gone up. It has a much deeper and like far-reaching effect than than that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the next one is is kind of similar to the one that Dan was just talking about converting to a fix. You could refinance now again. You know, refinancing is uh, obtaining a new loan to replace your existing one, often and ideally with more favorable terms. That may not be the case these days. However, you may find yourself in a situation where this could be one of your only ways out. Refinancing can be a very valuable strategy to address negative amortizations and ideally, again, improve your financial situation. Before I go on, these are not recommendations. These are just ideas and options for you to explore if you are in this position we're going to get to a few more, but really, if you are in this position, don't wait around. You need to be taking action. And the, the main people you need to speak to are either your mortgage broker or your lender. So anyways, if you're going to choose this refinancing or at least explore the refinancing option, definitely be speaking to your broker, your lender, and maybe even going out and comparing different uh, uh, lenders and really figuring out the best refinancing options for your needs. Again, this also depends on what type of property this is for. If this is for a uh, stabilized rental property that wasn't stabilized when you bought it, that could change things. If this is for a primary residence that the actual value of the home has gone down, that could also change things. Another thing you want to be watching through this, if you do decide to refinance, is you definitely want to be watching your credit score. So before applying for a refinancing, do whatever you can to improve that credit score. Uh, and then do things like calculate potential savings, right? A lot of the onus is going to be on you here. So go back and use one of those online amortization schedules or mortgage calculators to estimate the impact that refinancing would have on your monthly payments and your overall costs. And then... If you are refinancing and it's kind of desperate times, desperate measures, I would again go back and say, you're likely not going to get a, a great rate at this point. So consider a shorter term. If this is, you know, you're kind of white knuckling to get out of the storm, then then don't set yourself up for a long, bumpy ride. You know, do it as, as short as makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, the remaining piece, and we maybe group these two together in the interest of time, but you know, you can change your mortgage terms. So talk to your lender, see if there's ways that you can, you know, change your existing mortgage. I, I have actually heard of some people um, in in this position um, where they, you know, they indicated early on that this was going to cause them financial stress, and you know, they were able to lock in kind of a comparable fix at at that time. Um, it might be a little late in the game for for negotiations like that, but like. 40-year AMs are technically available to people in f extreme financial hardship, which like with all due respect to the economy and the financial system, people who are experiencing extreme financial hardship as a result of home ownership um, might be better to consider not owning. But um, I get why these things exist. Um, 
it's just like how long can you how many how many um life rafts can you offer to homeowners before like it, it just becomes really unfair to the remainder of the economy like people who get or you know tenants as an example getting uh extremely disadvantaged by a lot of policy mm-hmm. especially yeah, when you account point. for like capital gains tax yeah. right like where do tenants get their ca- the million plus dollar capital gains exemption over their life so it, it is a bit of a fine line to walk from a policy perspective if you just keep bailing homeowners out who made made you know in some cases there's real financial hardship you know um not really their fault some cases it was just really dumb financial decisions um and and how do you sort for, for those yeah. but the reality is every time you throw a life raft to a homeowner you kind of like marginalize a, a tenant and this is where you kind of end up with a little bit of like a, a class war happening mm. between that those two groups of people there's there's definitely a history of a little i don't know animosity uh with anytime there's a big government bailout for for people that have versus the government bailouts for the people that don't have right right uh yeah let's just quickly wrap up this last one here dan um and that's yeah sorry just while we're on the note because i think i mentioned it in the last episode but did you see that the bank of canada is um researching the idea of a debt jubilee now they've published this thing that like they're I'm going to pull it up. You run through your last one and I'm going to pull this up. Cause my last one sounds a lot less exciting now than, uh, than this. Yeah. So the last one is, is pretty simple. It's, it's seek professional advice. And and this goes to so many other, uh, things that we've spoken about on, on, um, in both the course that we, that we teach people how and where to find these people. But, um, you know, it, it's about who, not how. Yes, a lot of this is based off of you and your current situation, but the best course of action is to go and seek professionals because you may need personalized guidance. The chances are you do. You're not the same as your neighbor. You don't have the same problems as the person on the other side of the country. Mortgage experts, financial advisors, mortgage brokers, and the, the experts at your lending facilities all can provide valuable tailored insights to your situation so go out and seek that expert guidance and um make them make them help you make them make them work for you so Do you know any good guys i was gonna say long story short you know maybe give give me a call give me a call i uh, i was told recently that we don't tell people that you know i'm a mortgage agent you're a real estate agent enough and that if they do want to buy and sell properties or if you are experiencing any of these situations we may or may not be able to help you, so it's worth uh, it's worth reaching out. Anyways, Dan, before we move on to the jubilee here, you did have one bonus one, which I believe was I kind of discussed it every other chance I had the opportunity, the which is yeah. like, yeah, I mean, look, like if there's ever been a good time in history to analyze whether or not an investment decision that you made in the past was correct, it's probably today, and it might even be too late because, like in Toronto, in the Toronto market supply just went up. It's the highest September active listings we've seen since. COVID, the supply flood. Yeah, which basically means there are way more houses on the market yeah. now. And we saw the lowest monthly sales in September literally on record. Which so, means way less people are buying those houses. So you went from a seller's market in August to a buyer's market in, in September. A lot of people are like, oh, it's not a buyer's market. Like, uh, you know, it's not a good market for people to buy because they can't because of the rates. I'm like, that's not what a buyer's market is. It's like, <laughs> yeah, buyers are the ones who are dictating the price now. That's what that means. Anyway. Or you could pray that the Bank of Canada is not just doing publishing papers called the macroeconomics of debt relief policies during recessions for fun. It's got a great ring to it that uh, that title. So this is crazy. Actually, I'm gonna I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna command F this loan to value because I've read this whole paper and it, it says 
in a recession involving a large fall in house prices, which we may or may not have seen or be seeing, mm-hmm. I study an unanticipated intervention where households with a loan to value ratio above 50%, sorry, above 95% have them reduced to this level. So back to 95% via a one-time mortgage reduction. So not even like- so This is like student loan forgiveness kind of thing? I don't know, but that's basically the, the scenario that they studied. Um, this is a large intervention that affects about 22% of the mortgages and costs 5.2% of GDP. Crucially, this policy is debt finance and involves in increases in future taxes. Um, More taxes. Yeah, lovely. well, I mean, so this is completely hypothetical. But the reality is uh, later on in the report, she says that, you know, it wouldn't actually have an immediate positive impact on house prices, um, but it could amplify recovery in the fullness of time. I don't. I've read the paper. I don't necessarily think that they're going to do this, um, yeah. but, but a lot of people who are more cynical and bearish than I do think There's that people they're like going that to out do there? So. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Just a few imagine, of them. Go to Twitter. It's <laughs> quite the place. Uh, TikTok actually is evolving as a pretty, pretty messed up cynical place too. As soon as you give uh, young people anonymity, like that's just like the, the the saddest part about the human race. I think as soon as you give people just anonymity, they're, they're, on the their natural response is to just like light people up. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, a lot of trolls out there these days. Anyways, um, let's wrap it there. I guess uh, major takeaways. If you or anyone you know is struggling with negative amortization, reach out to a professional for help. Do your own due diligence. There are ways out. There are ways to buffer the pain a little bit. Uh, don't wait around for the Bank of Canada to theoretically um, cancel some of your mortgage payments. The chances are very, very small. You could email your MP and tell them you're not going to vote for them unless they ta- read this paper. And There you go. Slight extortion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hope you guys got a ton of value out of today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317. Agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.